Just a note before we start, this episode contains references to sexual assault. You can find support links in the show notes below, and please take care when listening. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional owners of the land that we make this podcast. And I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are listening to this episode. Yama. Hello, I'm Rowdy Walden, podcaster, writer, TV host, and you might have even heard me talk about sex before, but this, this is Talking Frank. This podcast will cover every nook and cranny of Australia's sex life, from the head spins of dating to unexpected fluids to SDI checks. We're going to get frank about it. For this episode, we're talking consent. Now, almost 2 million Australian adults have experienced sexual assault since the age of 15. Yet, with sexual assault figures so high, especially among young women, consent is now only being introduced into school curriculums. Come on, let's be frank about consent. Joining me is Chanel Contos. Chanel became known globally last year following an outpouring of responses to her survey asking young women to share their experiences of sexual assault. Since starting the powerful online movement, she's worked with the Australian police to create an anonymous online tip site, met with the PM to discuss consent laws and played a vital role in having the laws changed and implemented. Chanel, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just quickly going to disclose I have terrible hay fever this morning, so please excuse my voice. Really? Yeah, it's not fun. But anyway. Damn. <laughs> uh, Chanel, now on this show, we um, have DMs sent in by people um, normally related to the episode that we're doing. Um, I'm going to play it for you. Um, it's about consent. Uh, and if you like, put your hand up whenever you feel like, you know, inspired to say something and we can stop it and discuss. How's that sound? Okay, amazing. Sounds good. This one has been sent in by Grace. Hey, Rowdy. I know that you're talking about consent this week and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot at the moment. So I thought I'd, I'd share some thoughts. Um, But yeah, I've been thinking about how I look back now on so many situations that I've been in and I feel like it's only been in the past few years that I've started to realise why those particular situations made me feel so uncomfortable and so yuck, like the penny has dropped because it's that classic thing of growing up, you think that if you're assaulted, you'll be dragged into a dark alley by a hooded stranger and that's what sexual assault is. So it took me a while to realise that when interactions have left a bad taste in my mouth, it's not an inconsequential feeling. Like I've had men tell me that something they did was a joke or it was just playful or like a compliment. I've had friends who have exploited my trust with them. And sometimes that makes it really easy to believe them and ignore my gut. I think that's so common for a lot of people that experience sexual assault, especially women. You know, often they might not come forward with their story or might not feel like it was actually sexual assault, but like that's not the case Mm -hmm. at all, right? A hundred percent. And there's there's actually like quite a bit of research on this. So they... There's research where when they were interviewing um, women about rates of sexual violence, they started using pressurised sex or coerced sex or all these different terms instead of the word sexual assault and rape because so many more women were willing to be like, yeah, that happened to me, but I feel like really dramatic calling this sexual assault um, because of those exact stereotypes that um, 
about that person on the DM said. Yeah, all right, I'll keep, uh, I'll keep going. And I've also thought about this a lot lately, but I think that growing up as a girl, you kind of get used to people picking you up and playing with your hair and telling you you're pretty and cute and all of that. Like from a very early age, you think you get used to having no boundaries around your own body, which is crazy to think about now. So maybe that's something we need to start thinking about too for boys and girls. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. I feel like the whole crux of rape culture is the fact that we socialize boys and girls with such strict expectations around, you know, their attitudes and expectations around their sexuality and their gender and what this should look like and how they should enact. Yeah. And I think that this whole concept of girls being socialized to have their, to have very like minimal boundaries and boys being socialized to have very strong boundaries and kind of push other people's boundaries as a norm and almost like emotionless for men as well or boys yeah exactly and kind of like again socialized out of being in touch with your emotions and empathy Mm. it's essentially in like these kind of situations of sexual assault that this person's describing where you know the guy plays it off as a joke or blah 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 it's essentially situations where entitlement outweighs empathy Mm. and it makes it very hard to process because that person is probably like a normal person in all other aspects of life. They're not, again, that like hooded figure in the alleyway. Yeah. Like if you don't want some stranger to pinch your cheeks and breathe in your face and tell you you're cute, then it's okay to tell them to back off. Also, I know it's such a big theme for people to feel like they don't have the right to talk about bad experiences they've had because it was nothing that dramatic or like that serious, quote unquote to them but everyone's boundaries are different when people touch you or make unwanted advances that make your gut churn and make you feel uncomfortable that's not okay and it's not acceptable and it counts I was just going to say the same point as um before that that person made again the feeling like you're being dramatic if you call up microaggressions or if you you know the like the quote-unquote small things being like oh it was just an ass grab or oh it was just a cat call in the street like all those sort of things um but they basically lay the foundations that normalize um normalize the behavior yeah yeah Yeah, normalize the whole behavior and I think lots of physical sexual assault is completely normalized as well to the point where people are like oh it's not that bad you know like you've had sex with them before it doesn't really make that much of a difference or like oh you were so drunk but like you always get that drunk like yeah I had this conversation with a friend this week where she like had someone touch her inappropriately at a, at a work function um, mm. and then make like an awkward comment about her in person and then like followed up later with a comment about someone else's body and she was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to bring it up, you know, to, to the boss because like I don't want to be the one that's causing trouble and I was like, um, absolutely not, like get into HR right now. It's not, it, it, it's not you causing drama. That person is 100% in the wrong. But yeah, it just really emphasised to me the fact that like, the problem with consent in this country is that like women are made to feel like they're the ones at fault. A hundred percent. And in, you know, corporate business, especially like with the workplace, I remember so clearly I was, um, I did like this six month internship when I was 19 when I started. And so like, obviously it was like scary and big and whatever. And I like asked one of my friend's dads who was like in the banking industry for like tips and advice and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things he said to me was, um, 
you know, like, don't make a fuss, like, just take things lightly and just be mm. easygoing. And that was like, and you know, this is a man I respect lots, and I'm not going to blame him because that was the way he grew up and he was socialized and all these things. And he thought he was being kind and giving me good advice, but he was literally just being like, essentially saying you're a 19 year old girl going into banking you're probably going to he acknowledged you're probably going to experience some shit and just take it accept it yeah don't make a fuss if you want to um if you want to get hired by them again when you finish your degree Mm, i think i'd rather be unemployed (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay it's good 30 seconds to go and like i can honestly say with my hand on my heart that i don't know one woman who has not experienced some kind of unwanted sexual touch or comment hands down and that is so sad like literally all it takes is saying one sentence to someone not assuming that consent is there all the time even if you're in a relationship with them it's just that's literally all it takes and it can be fun and hot and cute so everyone just needs to get around it I feel like that is like look we're gonna get right into it in our discussion in a moment but like it's so true you can't, mm-hmm. you, everyone can think of someone that's been through this, you know, consent not being the forefront of people's considerations. I think it's hard to think of someone who hasn't yeah. been through it, especially if we're talking about, you know, harassment and yeah, no, it's, it's pretty crazy that, um, I have conversations with people a lot about sexual assault, obviously, and it's so common mm. for, you know, like a young Australian woman to come up to me and start off the sentence being like, I'm really lucky that this didn't happen to me, but, um, you know, I support the campaign or whatever. And every single time I'm just like, oh, my God, the fact that it's classified lucky Mm. to have not been sexually assaulted, I think just embodies the whole situation. Mm. Um, Okay, I want to shift now and um, I've got like a bazillion questions to ask you about consent and your work. but also just really quickly, I want to say I love that DM so much. And oh, yeah, she's so great. That's like so comprehensive. <laughs> yeah. Probably in the episode here. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what do you think is the biggest misconception or misunderstanding about consent? Um, really easy question to start with. I think there's a few. I think that one people don't understand that consent can be like heavily communicated through body language. I think there's a misconception that consent is like a hard thing to navigate. I think it's kind of essentially empathy in a different way. And I also think the biggest thing about consent or lack the lack thereof is um, this idea that related if something physically forceful happens. Yeah. Whereas the majority of them are sexual coercion, which means that, you know, this assault is occurring with words and I think that's a big misconception that that doesn't count for some reason. Mm. Um, you've been at the helm of the consent conversation in Australia. Your survey has been flooded with responses. Like it really made an impact here. Um, and it's obviously led to a lot of conversations, I'm sure, between you, but also like everyone's been having conversations about consent. And, and, and a lot of people have been sharing their experiences and their stories. But were there any stories that struck you from the surveys in particular, like anything that made you realise something or? The two things that come to mind, the first was um, a like, young Australian girl DM'd me and said, like, oh, me, my mum and my grandma were just, like, watching you on TV or something talking about this. And she basically said, I, like, said that I told my mum and my grandma for the first time that I'd been sexually assaulted and then my grandma told 
my mom and me for the first time that she had been sexually assaulted and then her mom told her mom and her daughter for the first time that she had been sexually assaulted and they were just like three generations of Australian women who had never communicated this to each other and that that's that's something I think about a lot Mm. (laughs) and then the other one a good friend of mine who was in the year below me at school messaged me her testimony and obviously like at, at this point in the campaign I was getting like genuinely like not even exaggeration to say like a thousand an hour or something like that but I obviously like took the time to reply to her because um she's my friend and and I care lots about her and she sent me the testimony and it was basically describing like a situation where a boy coerced her into giving him head and I like replied being like I'm so sorry like I'm sending you so much love like whatever like a nice message Mm. and she replied saying ha 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 as if I give a it happened to all of us and that also just like sticks in my mind so much because I was just like so true like as in there's it's so common and it was so common at that age that if you ever did like say to a friend this happened the response would usually be like oh yeah that's what happens when you know those situations arise which is also a problem in itself to not be like to to exist in a space where you know it even being recognized is not confronting but you know almost Mm. laughable Exactly. And I also think when I've, because again, I think about that a lot and I've had like conversations with other people about other things and reactions. Um, and I think it's really normal slash, yeah, I think normal, but also common mainly to like try to laugh these things off as like a response to be able to deal with it. Like I notice it, like there's been a few times where I've like written something and read it to a friend and like the writing and the thing I'm writing is something that's like objectively like a really problematic thing or like a, you know, a really like a, a sex story that involves like coercion or like assault or whatever but it's like if I write it in a funny way and like the point is I, I like I want them to laugh when they read it but it's like you, you like laugh out of how uncomfortable it is and how true it is yeah or that that like classic thing of like self-deprecating humor is just you exactly. really masking your own insecurities or fears exactly so just laughing and off being like haha it happened to all of us but as in yeah that just like stuck with me so much because I was like well yeah it did happen to all of us yeah um doesn't mean that we shouldn't give about it. Um, what about have you had any responses from men or boys to the survey? Yeah, I mean, there's been lots of boys who have been really self-reflective about their experiences, um, their kind of ignorance as well. Like, you know, I've had I've had boys DM me saying, you know, this reading this has realized made me realize that I've sexually assaulted someone. Like, what do I do? Um, I interviewed this this boy who's now in his 20s last week about stealthing mm. and he basically said stealthing's the non-consensual removal of a condom and he basically said like I didn't know that this was a act of sexual assault until I saw it on your stories and said he wanted to you know be involved in making legislative change happen in that space and interviewed with me about it. Yeah, it's stri- like you've been working a lot in the stealth- stealthing space at the moment, like trying to get it made illegal in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's the it's when you're having sex with someone and you take the condom off midway through or some yeah, is that right? Yeah, or say condom and don't use a condom. So basically, consenting to sex, um, like you can consent to sex with a condom, but that doesn't mean that you're consenting to sex without a condom. So yeah. removing it intentionally in any way. Um, and yet one in three Australian women have been stealthed and one in five Australian men who have sex with men have been stealthed. 
which gives me the creeps, to be honest. <laughs> but also, where are people learning this as a, as a, like a thing? I think, again, it's this moment of entitlement outweighing empathy. Being like, oh, it feels better without a condom or like whatever. It, what was really interesting to me in this situation of this um, this boy who interviewed me about him basically being like, oh, shit, like I still have to go, was the reason he did it, which I, I thought about. It. I was like, that's probably like a massive reason for lots of boys for why they do it. Mm. Again, not knowing that it's um, illegal to, to clarify as well. It's, it is like a crime it is a sexual assault but the problem is because it's not explicit in law it leaves it up to the courtroom to decide whether it's a crime or not oh okay right you want it explicit in law so by default people are in that situation but people also can be like, charged with it law. yeah right okay yeah pretty much no one gets charged with stealthing like i think there's been like one person ever in the uk who's ever gone to jail for stealthing mm. um and it's more about public awareness and like using the law to like educate the public because i don't think people even know what that word means mm. but anyway this guy who i interviewed when i asked him why he did it he was like, oh, I, I couldn't get hard and I couldn't stay hard, so I took it off. And it's really interesting because there's all these factors of, again, these, like, expectations around sexuality and, like, how a man should always be ready and prepared to have sex and, you know, all of those things that basically made him feel in that moment that I'm not justifying what he did and he did say that it felt like the wrong thing to do. He said that there was something wrong about it, but um, he didn't know that it was sexual assault. But all those expectations that, like, you know, a man must be hard and readily, readily available to have sex whenever and, like, you know, should have a really high sex drive and all those sort of things is what compelled him to do it in the first place out of his kind of own insecurities almost, which I thought was really interesting. And I was like, it's probably a lot of a lot of people who have done that for that reason. Do you think that maybe the root cause of consent, like our consent issues and our stealthing issues is sexual education? Like if people didn't have those preconceived ideas or had different opinions about how sex should happen. There's no reason why he couldn't have said, hey, this isn't working for me. Can we try without a condom? I think that people find conversations about sex really hard to have, even with the person you're having sex with. Mm. Um, I don't think that there's enough communication or normalization of communication around sex because it's very rarely modeled to us. Like, you know, when you see sex, you either see it in like rom-coms or like action movies where they're like wearing heels and lingerie and like or like porn as well massively and they're not we're not seeing the talk before we're not seeing the talk after we're not seeing the ongoing communication in that moment yeah because I mean when you learn about sex you learn about sex's uh, anatomy and then as procreation and that's kind of it yeah and also I was thinking about this the other day they also <laughs> like yes that's all they teach they teach anatomy progression and they also teach like stis and like how to put a condom on and blah, blah, blah and like all these sort of things um maybe contraception if you're lucky and i'm like they actually still teach that so poorly <laughs> like, yeah yeah they're doing like, the bare minimum yeah like i'm still like not like it i still didn't know the names of different parts of you know my whole body until really recently and they like removed the clitoris from biology diagrams and i remember like so I was 13 um when I was sexually assaulted and um I was so uneducated on sex that I thought that sperm was a singular cell and I think that's just like again like embodies the whole problem the fact that you can be so vulnerable to being sexually assaulted um yeah your education has been so poor even in the front of biology that you still don't even know what real life is yeah I mean that's the diagram you see one sperm cell entering the egg yeah yeah with all this in mind do you have any like tips for people to have this conversation 
and talk to their partners or talk to their anyone in their life about consent? I think that the most important conversations that need to happen um, are with kind of like young people mainly um, who are like about to go into this field of navigating their sexualities. And I think one of the hardest things is the fact that in order to have productive conversations around consent for young people, there needs to be a fundamental acknowledgement that young people do have sexualities Mm. and that that is, you know, not a bad thing because I think it's very hard for people to, you know, acknowledge that like a 16 year old or a 15 year old, whatever would is willing to have sex with their 15 year old partner who, you know, they love and blah, blah, blah. So there's so much conversation around like not doing and avoiding. And like, if you get drunk, this will happen to you and like all that stuff, which just like, kind of shifts the focus whereas Mm. if we have a fundamental acknowledgement people are going to have sex yeah Yeah. like when I was when I was having sex when I was younger I wanted like I wanted to do that like I you know I look at like young people now and I'm like oh my god like you look like a baby but like that that is truly what I wanted at that time at that age you do look like a baby I'm very old compared to you (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's weird when you like at that age you think you're so old and at all ages you think like you're old and then you look back and you're like oh so young but the reality was that 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 is what I wanted to do and if the conversations were focused around the fact that it's only a problem when consent is violated Mm. I think it would have been a really different environment so we need to have those conversations with the uncomfortable um uncomfortable pretense of the fact that if someone does like you know the positives of consent if you do want to consent to this this is a good thing Mm. You said earlier that giving consent can sometimes be physical. How does that work? It's a body language thing. You know, you can be kissing someone and you can tell quite, I don't, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just bizarre to me because some people always, you know, especially when I speak at schools and stuff like that, the young kids ask these questions. And it's like when you're kissing someone, it's quite clear if they want to be kissing you or not, if they're like leaning into you, if they're, um, you know, if they're actively touching you, if they're, smiling and you know all this stuff and I'm not saying that smiling at someone means consent but I'm saying in a moment if you're reading off each other you can make a sound assumption that it is okay to continue kissing them given that whereas if they start you know potentially freezing up or turning their head away slightly or like moving their legs away from you or like looking really tense or uncomfortable or like being like um uh and like not laughing and all these things or laughing really like awkwardly as if they're trying to get out of the situation then that is them saying, communicating a no to, you know, someone. And I think that also, you know, I always get men being like, what, I'm meant to ask my wife every time we have sex if she wants to have sex with me after 40 years. Yes. And it's the answer like, is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is, again, it's communicated with body language, and that is asking. And, you know, the first time you, you know, potentially have a new sexual partner or whatever, an explicit question, you know, that's kind of my go-to, like an explicit question of do you want to have sex? Um, but yeah, if you've been with someone for 40 years and you know their body language, then yes, you're asking through the way they're doing it. But if you know, they're like shying away from you or like tensing up or whatever, then that is, you know, your wife of 40 years saying she's not in the mood. Do you think that's the easiest way to ask or to approach consent? Just being straight up blunt with it. Do you want to have sex? I think so. But the thing is, it's not as simple as that because Mm -hmm. you can feel really uncomfortable in a situation to the point where you say yes to things to just make sure that the situation ends safely. Mm-hmm. I've had so many, I, I'm gay and most of my friends are gay men and I've had so many conversations with them 
and just like your survey might have done for you and your friends is like, yeah, like you didn't realise that something was a messed up situation until you hear that other people also shared in that situation. And like so many times I've like friends have told stories where they've been sleeping with someone or, or, or gone back to someone's house and thought, oh, this could potentially turn violent, you know, between yeah. two men. The easiest path and the path of least resistance here is to just have sex so that I can leave safely. That is exactly the crux of it. There's actually a word for it, which is also something that I love from reading the testimony is kind of in mass, this like continuous theme. And then a few months in, someone gave me a word for it and it just made perfect sense. Everything clicked into place. But anyway, it's called fawning. And it's basically being over nice in a situation or doing whatever the other person wants in order to get out of the situation safely. And fawning has its roots in PTSD. So if you grew up in a household where, you know, you constantly had to like walk on eggshells around like your family members or that sort of thing, you're like more likely to fawn but anyone can fawn because it's a survival tactic. And, you know, we all, we're all very well aware of like fight and flight mode. Yeah. Um, and then more recently we've understood freezing as a response to, you know, being scared, especially in sexual situations, you know, and this is of course what triggered affirmative consent laws in New South Wales and around the country. Um, I think it's just Saxon Mullins, this idea of being like, oh, they never said no, but mm. they weren't able to say no. Um, and then more recently we're understanding fawning as a trauma response um, because the thing is in heterosexual encounters or um, even I guess in with gay men as well if like one of the men is like physically larger but especially in heterosexual encounters in general the girls will probably be smaller than the boys mm. fight or flight are no longer feasible trauma responses because what are you going to do like punch them or like run away yeah <laughs> like, it's I mean, not going to work yeah yeah you know, underneath them or, you know, being pinned yeah. up against a wall by someone that you physically can't fight off. Yeah, exactly. And um, and that just leads to leads to the way to get out of that situation is to either freeze to, like, let it pass or fawn and act like everything's fine. And that, you know, that often means having sex with someone or, it like, I've read it on my um, thing time and time again. They'd be like, oh, I gave him head so he didn't um you know rate me or like I gave him a handy so that he would like not like he would come and it would be over like all mm. these sort of things that's like you're fawning or people being like I went to breakfast with him the next day but I don't know why like I stayed up all night not sleeping and um then you know when he texted me in the morning I replied like all these things it's a survival tactics that's that is also why again consent needs to ultimately boil down to empathy because it's not as simple as saying do you want to have sex because if you've put someone in a position where they don't truly feel comfortable to say no, then it doesn't count as consent. Right. Um, since the survey, you've spoken with the PM and you've worked with the police and the new curriculum and now um, in your new role, how far has our consent education come in the last two years? We're in such a better place. <laughs> um, I mean, before consent education wasn't mandatory at a national level, um, it was included in some state and territories curriculums, but it wasn't mandated. Mm. Um, and also if it's in the state and territory curriculum, the independent sector isn't bound to it at all. And Australia has a massive independent sector and most of the independent schools are religiously affiliated. Um, and for some reason, there's this idea that you can't co-teach religious values and consent, which is, baffles me. But anyway, and yeah, what's happened thanks to like all the people who signed the petition and the, you know, 7,000 odd people who submitted a testimony of sexual assault to teachers' consent is it's been 
as of 2023, they're going to start implementing it. And it's been mandated in every single school across Australia wow. from kindergarten every year until year 10. Well, thank you, because I feel like without you, this conversation might not have happened for another five or 10 years. But what else needs to be done? I mean, in terms of consent education, the next challenge is implementation, mm. uh, which is a massive challenge because, like, okay, great, it's in the school curriculum, but there's obviously so many schools around Australia. And ultimately what matters is how one individual teacher tells their class of 20 kids. Without, without including their own prejudices or ideas on it. Exactly. And, like, how many will, like, a lot, especially when they've grown up in an environment where, you know, sexual assault's been normalised to them and, yeah. you know, how easy is it going to be for them to be like, oh, girls don't walk home alone in a short skirt, um, you know, all those sort of things. The excuses, victim blaming, slut shaming embedded in the way that, like, this sort of education is taught. Lots of teachers who just also challenges, like, for teachers themselves. So many teachers of this content will have been sexually assaulted themselves. But I think that, like, more broadly what's next is just like continuing to have these conversations you know continuing to educate people about it I'm trying to get stealthy and criminalized in every state and territory in Australia at the moment and um yeah just constantly having these conversations to learn better and to learn better well <laughs> to learn more Push the conversation and, further yeah 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 Exactly. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about or something that you, this is your moment, jump on the soapbox. Like what, are, what do you want to say that I haven't um, drawn out of you? I think that we just need, in, in terms of educating people beyond school children, so obviously the school system is a really, especially like, you know, Australia's education system, it's one of the best in the world, is a great thing to employ to change the culture of a generation. It's looking, it's looking very far forward because we're going to start seeing cultural change and shifts in attitudes and understandings of consent over time as we have this new cohort of kindergartners who are going to learn about it for the next 10 years. Mm. But in terms of educating, like, the public and, again, especially older generations, unfortunately, I feel like it's kind of, it shouldn't be up to young people. It should be up to you know, people who have like power and authority in our world. But I feel like so many young people, like over the last year, year and a half, whatever, have taken upon themselves to have really hard conversations with like, you know, their parents or like that like annoying uncle that's at like Christmas every year or like mm. all these sort of things to kind of educate publicly. And again, it all comes down to having these conversations and being open to let like have make a safe space for people to like share their opinions and kind of deconstruct them. Um, and like the thing I try to keep in mind when this happens is this idea of this person is just having the same beliefs that their society's told them to have, which is like completely understandable. And, you know, it matters if they can acknowledge and reflect and change and do better in future. But someone saying something really problematic, helping them understand why that's problematic and why that doesn't need to be the norm is going to be a lot more effective than just being like not engaging with you. That's wrong. I mean, you know that the culture of a country is messed up when the creepy uncle stereotype is something that everyone is so familiar with. I was going to say it's probably unnecessary, but I was going to say, um, and there's actually been surveys to prove this, that like Australian men are more misogynistic than um, other men in high income countries. Like they hold more misogynistic views. And like I live in the UK and it's so common if I meet someone who like did their exchange in you know Sydney or Adelaide or Melbourne or whatever for them to just be like, like when I talk about what I do for them to be like, oh my God, Australian men are the worst for that. And it's like really? literally an embarrassment. <sighs> it's so common. Like, yeah. Um, Have you noticed the difference since you've been in the UK? Yes. Really? 100%. It's that obvious? Yes. 
it's so obvious and I don't know maybe it's the circles I was in when I was in Australia and the circles I'm in in the UK and also maybe it's the fact that I moved here when I was a bit older but like it's like completely like it would be really weird for a boy to like not identify as a feminist in like the like general like groups in the UK and that sort of thing whereas I feel like there's still heaps of boys in Australia who'd be like oh like no like you know girls should be paid equal but like I'm not a feminist bro like I'm not crazy like you know all that sort of thing and I think there's lots to do with like I think it's our school system actually did my dissertation on this like how the elite school system in Australia upholds all these concepts and we have like the largest proportion of independent schools out of any like high income country in the world and the large proportion of single sex schools as well and I don't know I think it's like the rugby culture the norms like all these different things come into play and when that study came out that proved that Australian men had significantly more misogynistic attitudes towards women than like any other thing I was just like oh my god like how are we meant to like begin to change this but the thing is we have no excuse because we have you know we're a high-income country we have unlimited resources we have a small population we have a great education system like there's no reason that we shouldn't be more progressive in this space what a note to end on thank you so much for coming on (laughs) Thank you for having me. It was so nice to talk to you. Sorry about my sniffles. Well, that's another episode of Talking Frank. Thank you to Grace and Chanel for being a part of it. And if you want some more information, you can go to frank.org.au or give the Family Planning Australia talk line a buzz. And I've even popped some extra information in the show notes below for you. To be frank, though, consent is sexy. 